Brexit, the British exit from the European Union. Until COVID-19 struck, it dominated our headlines, TV screens and radio broadcasts. Brexit means Brexit. Brexit means breakfast. Brexit. Think about Brexit. What's, what's that? Brexit is bothering both ends of the business spectrum. We must leave the EU. So it'll be harder to go on holidays. Yeah, I think so. Oh, I love my holidays. Yeah. yeah. The global pandemic has diverted our attention for the last few months, but the deadline for the end of the Brexit transition period is looming closer. And we still don't have much idea what's going to happen at the end of December. Will the UK still be in the single market? Will we have a customs union? Is Kent going to become a massive car park? Are supermarket shelves going to be empty? No one knows. A deal is still being struck, which means UK businesses have to be prepared for myriad potential outcomes. This mini-series for the London Business Hub is getting to the heart of the Brexit-related issues affecting small to medium-sized businesses. In each episode, we're going to be taking one specific issue, be that tariffs, the loss of skilled labour or food labelling, and try to see how businesses could be better prepared for whatever comes next. To make things easier, we've paired each London business with a relevant expert, and between us, we'll try to bring a bit of understanding and clarity to the situation. Obviously, we don't have all the answers, as so much remains unknown, but in this podcast, we're going to do the best we can. My name's Nick Wallace. Thank you very much for listening. In this episode, the topic is EU talent and how UK businesses can continue to attract it. With me today is Sir William Sargent, Chief Executive of the visual effects company Framestore. Framestore's incredible success in filmmaking post-production is world-class. They are an Oscar-winning business who put the British film industry firmly on the map, particularly with the work they contributed to the Harry Potter film franchise. For that reason, William needs to employ the best of the best from around the world. How will he do that in a post-Brexit universe? To help answer that question, we're joined by immigration lawyer Sasha Schoenfeld, partner at Fox Williams Solicitors. This podcast was recorded at the end of August 2020. William, welcome to the podcast. Tell us a bit about Framestore and how it came to be. Gosh, um, well, we started effectively over a dinner party in uh, November 1985 when... um, a few friends and I were sitting around and they were, you know, being frustrated about their desire to be more ambitious in their jobs and where they were. And after three weeks of hearing the same story, um, I suggested that maybe they'd like to do something about it as opposed to moaning at every dinner party every Sunday night. And 17 weeks later, we um, we started Framestore. Um, and uh, we started it effectively using a piece of equipment which was digital. So in those days, analog. Videotape was how the industry operated. And uh, the name came from the fact that the device stores frames. Uh, There are 24, 25 frames a second in film. And so hence the name Framestore on the 2nd of March, 1986. And things developed significantly from there. And you've now been involved in some of the biggest Hollywood movies that have been made. You do point to Harry Potter as a turning point, not just for Framestore, but for the British film industry as a whole. Can you give us some kind of indication as to why that franchise has been so important? So Harry Potter arrived at a time when the British film industry was films by exception rather than films as a way of life in terms of the craft side. So most people would work on a pop promo or an advertisement, a television project and a film in the course of the year. 
and you couldn't really make your living doing major feature films because everything was made in America, particularly on the West Coast. And so the fact that um, we had obviously what was the biggest franchise in terms of storytelling with J.K. Rowling and Harry Potter, um, and, and that remained in the UK, and, and the Prime Minister, uh, Tony Blair, was quite instrumental in making sure it stayed here. Um, and so it gave us the wherewithal to go from convincing uh, studios that um, we could do, you know, real work at real scale. And over the course of the eight films, that's exactly what happened. We went from, you know, a small cottage industry, which the studios didn't really take seriously because we didn't have the capacity or the credibility um, to obviously doing all of the last uh, Harry Potter in the UK. So what was it that Framestore were offering Hollywood that they couldn't get in Hollywood? What was your USP to the people who wanted to use what you had to offer? Well, in effect, you know, more left field thinking, more creativity, uh, more ambitious in image making than they were getting on the West Coast. Is, is that because they were still stuck in the industrial light and magic modelling? Yeah, so that was really, it was bringing digital and also the UK creativity because we were doing in advertising and in pop promos the most exciting work in the world. I mean, things like, uh, you know, the Michael Jackson videos, Culture Club, um, you know, Madonna, all of those were done in the UK. So that was the, where the exciting filmmaking was at that point. It just hadn't transferred into feature films. So to create the images that you did and the, and the volume of work at the scale that Hollywood required, you presumably needed to recruit the very best and brightest. Mm. As you're, and of course, scaling for a company uh, is hugely important because you've got to maintain the quality levels. How did you go about that when you started uh, going from turning over a few million to turning over tens of millions of dollars? Um, well, our whole ethos is based on bringing junior talent in and then bringing them through the company. And so recruiting from colleges um, and now recruiting from schools is key to who we are and what we are in that. So obviously, initially, we started by recruiting from uh, British universities. And then, of course, you know, because we want the best of the best, then uh, we widened our, our net to uh, the rest of Europe. Um, and that then became the core of, of how we built our company. And of course, when you widened your net to the rest of Europe, you're part of the single market with mm. all the benefits that that entails in terms of free movement and, and, and uh, easy hiring. When Brexit happened, I imagine you immediately had those concerns. Well, before that, actually, obviously, because on the day in June 16, when, uh, when obviously the referendum happened, the following day, 30% of my colleagues are from the other member states. So that's you know fairly significant amount, obviously, and they felt unbelievably rejected and demoralised, um, and so from that day on, actually, the impact started happening, and certainly in the year leading up to uh, well during the period of eighteen months, we noticed that um, graduates were beginning to be reluctant <clears throat> to make a commitment because at that point there was no clarity about citizenship and and residency and so forth. And so while that remained, people were reluctant to obviously come to London, you know, rent, uh, you know, flats and so forth and make their career based in London. Did you quantify that in any way? Did you did you notice productivity dropping? Did you notice long term employees starting to look at either moving away from the UK or hedging their bets or starting to talk to you or just leave the company to go and work somewhere else? Well, it, 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 the impact was more noticeable in people in recruiting from uh, European colleges, um, in mainland Europe, so to speak. 
because people didn't pick up the uh, the uh, offers with such gusto, and we did definitely get rejections uh, along the way. Uh, we do an internship program for people in their second year during summer, and we noticed that people weren't automatically taking up the job offers for one year later. Um, and so there was a definite reluctance, particularly at senior level, where people were with families been offered jobs to come to the UK and, and therefore disrupting, obviously, what was a settled life in France or Germany or Spain. So, so that was very much how it manifested itself. The colleagues who were in the UK already, particularly those who had uh, uh, up to five years of, um, of residency, obviously, I think, felt OK, but, but still nervous because, you know, in the Evening Standard, you'd read once a month about someone from Holland who'd been here 25 years, was married with children and had been rejected by the Home Office uh, because they didn't have 25 years of the paperwork. So there's some, there were scare stories like that that went on consistently every month. And it just constantly put the question in people's minds. So we did notice that some people began to think of going back to Milan or Paris or wherever, and not just because the families were there and that, but just beginning to think, I better hedge myself here and, uh, and do that. So the, so the clusters that were in those countries, which were unable to compete with us, began to get some traction in hiring uh, local, their nationals back to their country in the same way as we got British nationals back to the UK 20 years earlier. And just give us an idea of the sort of calibre of person that you're looking for or needing to recruit year on year in order to remain at the absolute leading edge of your industry. What kind of technical skills do they need? What creative heritage and skills do they need to understand? And, and, and where are you specifically going looking for them? Well, you know, there are some amazing colleges throughout um uh, Europe, which specialize in various types of computer sciences or digital filmmaking. And so there are colleges that have become specialists that turn out incredibly high caliber people. Um, and as far as we're concerned, we want the top three in each class each year from each of those colleges. And there's, you know, 15 or 20 of them. So for us, we're absolutely, um, you know, our, our goal is to hire the best of the best across, um, you know, hundreds of European universities. What's do you need to know as a chief executive about the regulations going forward and the way that you're going to be able to hire? Well, I think we start with the most basic one, which is cost, right? Um, which is, you know, from the 1st of January 21 or, or whenever, you know, what is the cost of my 300 plus colleagues who currently are citizens of the European Union? Um, is there a cost? What is it? Um, uh, how complicated is the paperwork? Uh, what do I have to do? What do they have to do? So in other words, the first thing I need to do is to sort out my existing workforce. <clears throat> the second question then is the new people I want to hire. What are the restrictions? What are the points based? Um, how easy is it to, to, to hire people? Uh, what are the barriers? And is there an appeal system? You know, we hire, we find the best computer scientist in a Madrid university. Um, you know, what's the, what's, how easy is it to get them from that university into our employment, number one? And secondly, you know, how do I sell them on uh, the fact that they will have a degree of certainty of lifestyle, travel? Um, you know, can they get apartments here? Will they become residents? You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm no longer selling a, you know, get on a plane or train, come to London and have a good life in London, which is what we've been selling because London's for me the best city in the world. Now I've got to sell them and don't worry about all the paperwork. Which is a 
wonderful opportune moment to bring in Sasha Schoenfeld, who's a partner at Fox Williams Solicitors, has 20 years experience in immigration law. Hi, Sasha. Hi there. Sasha, just I've spent a very unhappy hour before this podcast started recording <laughs> looking at the government website about the various options available to people who want to hire uh, employees from overseas. There's there's, yeah. there's all sorts of hoops you have to jump through, even just to become a sponsor of uh, foreign employees. What's it been like from your perspective preparing for Brexit and looking at the rules and regulations that the government's implementing? It's been really interesting from the point of view that uh, we've been talking to to, uh, the government and employers and organisations about what they can do, exactly the kinds of issues that uh, William has just raised. Um, You know, what do they do about their new hires? What do they do about people who are already here? Um, And it's, you know, I wish I could reassure you that it's not going to be um, complicated so long as you know what you need to do um, and you can take the steps you need to uh, at the time you need to and as early as possible and plan for those steps, you should be able to get through them fairly easily. I have to say, though, uh, not without expense. Well, this is infuriating for uh, companies, international companies, who were promised that Brexit would mean a, a reduction in red tape. It's absolutely infuriating. Am I right? Am I right, um, Sasha, thinking that it could cost me two grand a person? You are absolutely right. So 300 people will be 600 grand. It does depend. Mm. I don't want to make you think that it necessarily has to do so for all of your new hires. Yeah. It really depends, first of all, on whether people are here already or whether they are due to arrive. And if they're going mm. to arrive, whether they will be doing so after the 1st of January 21. So if they're mm. here already, say they're working, they're, they're, I'm talking about EU nationals, nationals of the EU mm. 27 member states. That's my big concern. That's my big concern. Okay. Those people who are here already uh, should can and should make an application under the EU settlement scheme for pre-settled or settled status. They can do that free of charge. It is fairly easy. You do so using an app um, and you should, if, you, if, you're, if you've got a residential address in the UK and you've been here in whatever capacity and you're here up to the 1st of January 21, you can apply for and obtain this settled or pre-settled status. That will enable you to stay here and work beyond 1st of January 21. Um, you can, you know, bring your family, you can, uh, you know, look for work, you can come in, take up a job, but you just need to show you're either here already or you will be arriving up to the 1st of January 2021. Can I just ask a quick technical question? Yes. Sadly, because of COVID, I've had mm. to let a few colleagues go. Yeah. I'm, I'm planning on rehiring them as soon as obviously, you know, mm. life gets more more optimistic, so to speak. Mm. Um, I know that we had people working at home, going back to the various um, European cities and that. And some of the people we let go are remaining in those cities. So say, for example, I bring them back on board February or March, having having obviously left the UK in the summer of uh, 20. Mm. And that uh, any issues that you can anticipate? Yeah, I mean, if, if you can only bring them back in February or March, as things stand now, the transitional period would have ended. Um, we They will need to apply to enter the UK in the same way as a non-EU national, say an Australian or a or mm. a, a US national. But if they've mm. registered, but if they've registered and be living here and now have gone back for six or nine months, okay. If they've registered they okay? and they have pre-settled status, they have their approved status gotcha. agreed by the authorities under the EU settlement scheme. 
no problem. They can come back. Oh, great. But if they have not yet applied, they won't be able to. Are they able to do that if they no longer have a job in London? They they are, yes. So just, just simply because they are EU citizens, they're able to apply for that status? So long as they have their pre-settled or settled status. Yeah, I get you. Um, just just explain to us, because William's business obviously is very keen to employ the best of the best, the brightest sure. of the brightest. Mm-hmm. What are the costs going to be to employ them next year? Um, well, uh, you know, if you're, if you're coming in, I mean, it depends which visa. I'm in Paris. I'm a new graduate. I've been hired by Framestore. I qualify under the points. Um, okay. What's Framestore going to have to pay? You're going to be, as you suspected, I'm afraid, it's likely to be in the region of um, £2,000 because you're you're talking about having to pay the immigration health surcharge, the immigration skills charge, the fee for the certificate of sponsorship, the Uh, fee for the visa, the entry visa. And if you want it processed quickly, you have to pay an additional priority fee. So you do need to count on around £1,500 to £2,000 per How long for? How long do I get a one-year visa or do I get a 10-year visa? The maximum you'd be able to apply under the new skilled worker route is five years. Okay, Okay. Um, but once someone has had one of those visas for five years, they'll be able to apply for permanent residence or indefinite leave to remain. Uh, And that means that they can stay indefinitely and they could also naturalise and get a British passport after they've held indefinite leave for one year. And if my competitor poaches them after six months, does someone repay me the money? No, no one will repay the money. Um, but uh, I guess the only, the, the only uh, comfort is that uh, your competitor would have to make another application for them. Someone's making money out of this. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll use this then as an opportunity to ask you a question that was the brewing in my mind whilst you were having your discussion previously. I know that there are distinctions in the various tiers uh, with regard to uh, visas and immigration status that you can get. And I wonder whether... Um, the work that you do at Framestore, William, has been affected by COVID to the extent that people may want to stay in their home country and do the work that they could otherwise do for you in London, partly as a result of the difficulties of getting into the UK and partly because, well, for instance, we'd be recording this in a studio, not remotely Mm. uh, from our various locations were it not for COVID. Do you see that as being something that you're going to have to build into your growth strategy growing forward, particularly when it Mm. comes to uh, short term contracts that you might be offering for a particular film project? Yeah, I mean, good, good question. Um, We don't know the answer to that ourselves. And obviously have been asking ourselves and all our colleagues have obviously been asking the question as well, because as you have observed, um, you know, colleagues have taken the opportunity to go back, particularly to single people gone back to their families and in various cities around Europe. Um, So there's a that's a perfectly likely scenario potentially, which, and the flip side is that potentially we'll be able to hire people in Europe and not have them come to the UK, which will be a sad because the payroll taxes then obviously will be paid over there rather than here. So um, yeah, things are going to be different. And in terms of the way that you have had to deal with questions about this kind of thing, Sasha, is COVID having a marked effect on the questions from people who are coming to you? Yeah, it is. I mean, mostly about around timing. It's not usually around things like, should we come at all? It's more about kind of, golly, it, you know, I'm going to have to rethink my strategy and that for my family, uh, you know, just because I'm going to have to delay coming. I simply can't know when I can, you know, complete or take up, complete this project, take up this post or similar. Where do you see the immigration situation going 
after Britain has formally left the EU and its and its transition period. What 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 do you see as the long term trends and and impacts on various different industries? I mean, the fact that Britain has managed to create a film industry which Hollywood comes to for particular services and to to complete entire projects is is a wonderful success story of the last twenty years. <laughs> The fact that it seems to be or could be at risk as the result of um, extra paperwork caused by Brexit and the immigration strategy is a worry. Are there other sectors which could suffer in a similar way? I think there are, certainly. And my, my I, I do a lot of work with tech, uh, with in, in the tech industry and with, um, you know, organisations, you know, tech startups, for example. And what the government have tried to do is try to address the particular um, requirements of that industry by introducing new types of visa sponsored by, I don't know, Tech Nation, for example. But, you know, the long term is I think businesses are going to have to think um, out of the box, much as William has just uh, demonstrated by saying, you know, maybe they'll have to have people working, um, you know, from European countries rather than here. And I think a, a co companies are starting to think like that, and they will do increasingly um, as the uh, expense and the amount of time it all takes become clear after we leave on the 1st of January 21. And I guess the, the, the one thing I'd say, actually, just to follow up on what I said just now, is, you know, the response that uh, the UK authorities have to issues, uh, the problems of the type that William has been raising, is, you know, EU nationals have the ability to come to to stay in the UK indefinitely, to carry on as they are now, so, uh, you know, by taking advantage of the EU settlement scheme. So they, what they expect people to do is to understand... Um, what their needs will be going forward and to bring in uh, or to advise any EU nationals who they think may want to work for them to come into the UK and apply under the EU settlement scheme because that will enable them to stay on and work without having to qualify under the points-based system. And how long is that open for? How long is that open for? You can apply up to the 30th of June 2021, okay. so long okay. as you have arrived before the end of the transition period. So the end, but by the end of this year, by the 31st Okay, of so the 31st of December is, yeah. they have to, the problem with that is obviously, you know, yeah. we're still in the COVID world, aren't we? So, sadly. And are there any mm. signs to any extensions being offered by the government because of the COVID situation, Sasha? Not at the moment. Not at the moment. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are, there are lots of, there are lots of, um, you know, they, they, they're, they're trying to address practically uh issues around things like you know not being able to attend appointments and uh you know having to submit biometric details they're, they're doing those mm. they are addressing those things but for example you know the need for someone to uh, apply and get the correct visa uh before they come to the uk to work mm. they're not relaxing those requirements at all uh, William, before I ask Sasha for a summary of what all employers should be looking out for with this new immigration regime, is there anything particularly you want to raise or raise directly with Sasha about your company's situation, which which we haven't touched on yet? Um, no, I think we've. Um, I, I, I've been quite so selfish and obviously focusing on my own company's uh, needs. <laughs> That's and, entirely and your prerogative, sir. An excellent um, free advice from Sasha, which I appreciate and actually found the conversation incredibly helpful and nuanced. I think my advice to everybody would be to do exactly what Sasha and I have just done, which is strategize. 
to understand exactly the nuances because the thing is clear is that uh, even for a professional lawyer who does this for a living, nothing is clear still. And knowing that nothing is clear and therefore up in the air is, is as useful a thing to find out uh, at present as uh, knowing the answers, you know. Well, Sasha, just as a summary answer before we uh, part company, what key things would you be saying right now to anyone walking through your door who's an employer who is looking to hire people from within the EU or retain the talent that they already have in order to allow their business to succeed and grow? Well, it's like, as William said, you know, strategize. Think about um, how you can take advantage of, for example, the EU settlement scheme to get your European Union nationals here uh, working for you. Um, as soon as they need to, remembering that um, so long as they arrive here before the end of this year, they can make an application for settled or pre-settled status and stay indefinitely. Make sure you understand what you need to do to get your sponsorship license approved so that if you need to, you can apply under the new uh, points-based system under the skilled worker visa route. Um, and you'll be able to do that from the 1st of January 2021. Um, understand the potential timing for that and the costs involved. I'm hoping, we are hoping that COVID uh, will be in the rearview mirror by then and we'll be able to, uh, you know, go back to priority processing. But, you know, we can't count on that. Therefore, you need to count on, you know, a number of weeks to get people in place. Similarly, you know, look at people who are studying in the UK um, and will they be able to join you after they finish studying on the back of this new post-study work visa that's coming in for the summer? That will avoid the need for them to qualify either under the EU settlement scheme or um, under the points-based system. So just build a strategy uh, as early as you can to deal and cope with the specific challenges um, you know, around recruitment of EU and non-EU nationals. Sasha, that's a wonderful checklist for any business. I'm very grateful to you for your time. Thank you also to William Sargent, William Sargent from French Store and Sasha Shanefield from Fox Williams Solicitors. I'm very grateful. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. For more business support on leaving the EU single market and customs union, visit businesshub.london. This podcast was commissioned by West London Business for the London Business Hub and was produced by Folder Media.